Hello listener, Matt here. Support Ben, read his ramblings, or find further notes on this show at securitized.com, spelled S-E-C-U-R-I-T-Y-Z-E-D.com. Hello and welcome to The Sensuous Sounds of InfoSec, where we discuss all things information, all things security, and all things information security. I'm Ben Maliso. And I'm Matt Snotty. Rafael Fiedler. And I'm Joey Police. And this week, before we launch into what I find a fascinating topic for our main conversation, I want to catch up on a couple of things that are tangentially related to some of our previous episodes. Uh, first of all, I want to bring up the name Daniel Ellsberg. And for the Australians in our panel uh, who aren't familiar probably with the minutiae of American history, Daniel Ellsberg was the fella who um, stole and made available to the public the Pentagon Papers. Uh, Matt, Joey, are you familiar with what that was? Or does, does that ring any bells at all? Uh, not, not for me. Is this like 1970s history? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. okay. Not what I thought. Okay. Well, I have no clue about <laughs> either. Because there were also yeah. the Panama Papers that were recent. And then, of course, we have the Twitter files, which you love to, to talk about Elon Musk. But yeah, <laughs> the Pentagon Papers were a long time. Well, I say a long time ago, within my lifetime and Ben's lifetime and Joey's lifetime, but not Rafti's. Not Rafti. <laughs> Rafti's just a puppy. Um, but the Pentagon Papers were a... And papers to me seems like such a misnomer. It was an archive of thousands of documents, over 47 volumes of content relating to how the Department of Defense and the federal government were uh, perceiving, planning, and prosecuting the Vietnam War. And um, Ellsberg and a, uh, a compatriot stole the things, even though they were cla- uh, much of them were classified and release them to the public because uh, uh, Ellsberg and those people he worked with uh, really believed that this was of public interest because the papers demonstrated that what the government was telling the American people about Vietnam was very different than what the military and federal government was doing and thinking about Vietnam. And there was a lot of revelations and and. Uh, a lot of content that soured the American people. It was one of the many things that caused the American people to sour on fighting the war. Um, Ellsberg was charged with a a whole panoply of uh, uh, crimes, including, I think, treason and sedition and and a bunch of other stuff. And he was ultimately found, I I don't want to say found not guilty, The charges were eventually thrown out because the judge in the case got so fed up with the federal government's behavior in prosecuting the case, including someone approached the judge and offered him a federal judiciary position. Um, Bribery. Yeah. The court doesn't seem to, they don't smile upon those kinds of efforts, um, at least if they're good judges. Um, also, some folks from the executive branch broke into Ellsberg's psychologist or psychiatrist's office to steal 
Ellsberg's file so that they could learn bad things about him and make it public. This was the committee to reelect the president, Creep, the same <laughs> outfit that did Watergate. Watergate. Ellsberg was part of the Watergate um, fiasco. And this is what caused the judge to dismiss the charges. So Ellsberg has long been kind of a hero among the literary class and uh, among journalism. Uh, recently, there was a movie made about all this with Tom Hanks and uh, uh, who's the actress? I'm sorry, famous actress. Um, doggone it. All right. Sorry. Can't think of her offhand. Um, and uh, how they how the New York Times uh, actually started publishing the papers, even though they were threatened with all sorts of punishments by the federal government as well for revealing classified information and so um, this uh, this smacks of julian assange and uh, wikileaks oh that... good i'm glad you made that connection already <laughs> ellsberg last month made a statement publicly and he hasn't really been in the public spotlight for decades he made a statement publicly he said if you're going to prosecute assange you have to prosecute me because not only did assange just do exactly what i did I did what Assange did because Assange gave me all the WikiLeaks data and I published it as well, in addition to the other outlets that he went through. I did not know Assange was even talking to Ellsberg. I didn't even know Ellsberg was still alive, to be completely honest with you. Um, but that to me came out as a pretty strong declaration in support of the First Amendment and against this idea that um assange should be charged with espionage or whatever the hell else we're gonna try to hammer him with uh i i found that very impressive um if there's anybody who could rest on his laurels of fighting for freedom it could be ellsberg you know he could just you know go away into retirement so i was very impressed with that and and i'm um i was glad to see him throw his hat into the ring as far as that battle goes um, the second thing I wanted to mention real quick, we recently did an episode about an attorney who got kicked out of the Rockettes event, uh, ostensibly because she was uh, working for a firm that was involved in a lawsuit against the Rockettes company and was picked up in line going into the venue through facial recognition. You know, one of the things I didn't realize at the time, and I, I just didn't, it didn't click with me. We were given so few details about that story. Yep. And, and I even I, said that at the start of that story, that, that there were very few details. So I'm sure more was going to come out. I, and I don't know if anything new has come out, but I just remembered the other day, there were a couple of lawyers in New York who were found guilty for acts of terrorism over the past two years and were sentenced to probation. Uh, they firebombed a police car nice. and, <laughs> and I'm not, I'm what I'm not, I'm not saying that this lawyer was one of those lawyers, but what we forgot was that in the story being couched as lawyer with firm and lawsuit gets kicked out. We forgot lawyers are people too. And sometimes terrible fucking people. And we only are getting the side of the story from the aggrieved attorney saying, I got kicked out because of this. I don't know if the Rockettes ever said, that's why you got kicked out. 
if this attorney is a felon, if this attorney has been charged with or accused of uh, or found guilty of doing such things as arson or, you know, whatever other kind of terroristic acts, it would make sense for the Rockettes to want to keep this attorney out, not because she was involved in a lawsuit. Um, so I, I think we missed the big picture there, and, and we were kind of honing in on the story they had unrolled the, the breadcrumbs for us with. Um, yeah, as is typical, yeah, the first person to go to the press is the one who gets all of the the notoriety. So yeah, her her story was was the one that that came out, and I'm I'm sure that there is much more to it that will eventually be be shown if anybody follows up on it, if it ever, especially if it ever goes to to actual litigation, uh, and becomes public knowledge. So yeah, I'm sure that there's a whole other side on the. On the on the side of of, of Big Rockette, who is uh, watching <laughs> over, <laughs> or Ma I, actually, it's Madison Square Garden. You, you uh, know, it's funny. You say you know, uh, there's probably a lot more to the story. There could be a lot less to the story. It could, could be, be a glitch. You yeah. know, where they triggered on on her face and they mistook her for Squeaky Fromm or something like that. <laughs> you know, I mean, they're just they're just we have no way of knowing. The the, the details were not made apparent. Yeah. Yeah. Well, having been involved in several uh, lit examples of litigation, I can I can say that there is almost always a bigger story that never makes it out to <laughs> to, to, to the public. So, oh well. Uh, what, I do believe that. Yeah. I do believe that. And someday, when you no longer give a fuck, uh, you're gonna have <laughs> you're gonna have to tell us some of those stories, even oh, if it boy. you know violates a court order or something. We got to go public with. It. We got to be Ellsbergian with it, man. <laughs> when, yeah, whenever I uh, uh, move in with Julian Assange or uh, Edward Snowden and and have the protection of uh, uh, <laughs> some state authority, then yeah, I'll spill the beans on all that stuff. But until then, <laughs> I, I don't know if Russia has good beaches. I'm just not sure that's where you want to end up. You know, well, I don't know. I'm sure the Black Sea probably has a has a nice balmy day in the above freezing every now and then. Covered in mosquitoes, yeah, <laughs> some dacha up there. Okay. Yeah. All right, but let's get on to our main topic conversation. I want to I want to thank Joey for bringing this one up into the the mix. Um <laughs> it's an excellent topic and one I think we should have done uh many many months ago. What number of the show are we on? What is what number is this going to be? We're approaching 150. I, I think we're in the 148, 149 range. I've got them all numbered on my computer. But since I'm since I do production, it's been eating up all my OneDrive space with all of the uh, <laughs> the editing that we've been or that I I, I say we I've been doing. You deserve <laughs> it. <laughs> yeah, I think this is going to be like 149. That's pretty impressive. All right, but we should have done this a while ago. Um, the topic is imposter syndrome and mm. does it ever go away uh joey since you brought up the topic do you want to explain what imposter syndrome is yeah, yeah, sure sure um i i think it's i mean it, it's kind of self-explanatory but the way that i look at it as is you the individual uh feels that they are not qualified or uh, acting as an imposter where others in the organization um, may not know that they really don't know what they're doing to the extent that they think they do. Now, that's a very rudimentary. I don't have a Webster's Dictionary out of, of how to break this down. But in essence, it's, you know, are you really qualified uh, to do what you say you can do? Um, you know, 
I, I have in the past suffered from imposter syndrome um, in, in various roles. And there was a blog that I really started reading on Reddit, which I'll post in the uh, chat. We might be able to post it in the uh, uh, in the comments as well for the for the podcast. But cybersecurity alone, uh, they're saying, has one of the highest percentages uh, the field of cybersecurity has one of the highest percentages of imposter syndrome, according to some statistics that they were throwing out. Again, I don't know the validity of that, but and I'm sure that that it might uh, bleed over into obviously many other stressful type um, uh, careers and, and, and fields. But cybersecurity and, and, and technology is one where, yeah, I think that many people do suffer from that simply because on a day to day basis, you may be faced with new things that have never come up. Uh, case in point, you know, Matt and I yesterday, we saw something that we've never seen before. And obviously, a tiger. What, what's that? A tiger. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, obvi obviously, it's, it's one of those, um, it's a classic example of you use the skills that you've learned over the years. You learn by trial and error, and you basically um, figure out the problem one step at a time through that experience. And it was one of those, you, you know, I'm we're walking out together, and I'm just kind of replaying the day in my head of, yeah, had we not known of previous examples or previous situations, neither you know, neither one of us would have been able to to get there. So I don't know. I, I think it's an individual. Um, uh, it, it's different for everybody. Well, let's do a quick survey of the four of us in the order that we announce ourselves uh, on the show. Have you ever felt imposter syndrome and do you feel it now? I'm going to skip my turn. I'll, I'll bring it back around. Go ahead, Matt. Yeah, of course I have. I, I don't know that I feel it right now, but yes, I have multiple times. Yes. Rafti? Yeah. Yeah. I would say that the startup like landscape is also, of course, a very popular piece for people with with imposter syndrome. <laughs> yeah, and, and ob obviously, yes. In, in mine ebbs and flows. Um, it's nothing where uh, where I'm like, oh, I'm done. You know, I'm, I no longer feel that way. There are days where I'm like, oh man, that was a doozy, you know? But hey, chalk it up to the toolkit and move on. Um, I will say this, and, and I think I mentioned this on a previous episode about teaching. <clears throat> when I was a younger man, I rarely, if ever, felt it, even when I was in circumstances where I really should have because I was putting myself in grave danger. <laughs> um, as I've gotten older and as I've gotten more experience, and, and the longer and longer I work in this field, the more it grows. I suffer from it all the time. Um, and uh it's it's become exponentially increased i i and i gotta say and i think i said this in the teaching episode i think the reason is the more uh concept i have of all of the topics associated with our field the more i understand that i can't possibly know everything and that is just too big a donut to ever fully consume you, you all feel that way as well yeah yeah um and, and i'll say I learned a long time ago, I used to race cars and somebody finally set me down and said, look, there's always going to be a faster car than you. And it really struck home because I was like, oh, I'm, I'm never going to be the fastest driver. I'm never going to have the fastest car. 
And, but, but I, I, I learned that long enough ago that I was able to project it forward and say the same thing about everything, cybersecurity included. I can never wow. know more than, than this person or that person, you know, that th there's always somebody that knows more than you, but no, the, the, the caveat to that is the flip side of it is no one else is you. No one else brings your experience, brings your knowledge, brings the, the, the things that you bring to the table, whether you're limited in your knowledge or not. And that's the thing that you have to use to kind of uh, get over imposter syndrome. And that's been helpful for me in particular, but, but gosh, yeah, I still suffer from it um, all the time. I mean, just walking into a, a, a courtroom and you see the opposing counsel and, and their forensic expert, and it just automatically sinks in as of like, oh gosh, am, am I going to, uh, you know, testify as well as him? Do, is my, was my knowledge as, as deep as his? Did I write my report as thoroughly as him or things like that? So yeah, it happens all the time. Matt, I got to ask you about that particular situation. Is sometimes the testimony more dependent, the, the, the acceptability and believability of that testimony, is the credibility more in the presentation sometimes, the way someone speaks or the way they deliver their ideas, more than the knowledge of forensics or your capabilities? <laughs> yeah, absolutely, 100%. Yeah, and, and a jury trial is, is as much theater as it is actual knowledge. <laughs> so yeah, being able to get your ideas across, being able to present them in a, in a palatable way to a lay person, to a judge, to a lawyer, to a jury, something like that. Yeah, theater does come into um, into that, but then theater comes into a lot of what we do because we try to convince a lot of people that we're able to do things or that we know things uh, that we aren't don't necessarily uh, are, or aren't able to convey any other way. So yeah, I I think to to tack on to what Matt is is saying, there comes a point of maturity within the career within your field where you recognize one, yes, you're good. And you you belong in the field and you belong in the space. However, there's always a opportunity to learn. There's never, like Matt said, there's always going to be a faster driver. There's always going to be a faster car. Um, back when when I go back to my Microsoft days of, of being a trainer, there were probably, let's say, five solid applications that I was an expert uh, trainer in. And and I had all these credentials and I could I could teach these courses backwards forwards inside and out not only that but then if somebody brought me applications with with specific projects within them yeah no problem we can dissect it we can build it and whatever and i remember i had one mentor who who said uh, okay let's look at microsoft project now now i don't know if you've ever looked at the application microsoft project and on the on the on the front end of it it seems pretty basic but it is one of the largest and most difficult application animals that Microsoft has ever produced. The PMP certification is basically demonstrating mastery of Microsoft Project. That's basically yes. what it is. Yeah. It, it, yeah. it is gargantuan in size and detail and complexity. And I remember saying, oh, if I've got all these mastered, you know, and again, I'm, I'm in my early 20s, my mid 20s at this point. And I thought, if I've got these mastered, I'm going to sit through this guy's class. I've got this. And then I can begin teaching this course. And I remember being absolutely blown away. And it was a it was a slice of humble pie again at that point in my life where I thought, my gosh, I have so much to learn. So back to my original point, I think that if you realize, hey, you belong here, this space is for you. But always remember, we are never done learning. We are never done seeing the new things. And if you have that mentality um, I think that that you will go, you will just continue to soar within the field or any field.
is imposter syndrome good does it does it bring humility does it combat hubris yes absolutely 100 like joey said you can't rest on your laurels you've always got to be learning uh but the it's so easy and and cybersecurity and it in particular uh, attracts a mentality of a certain stereotype of person and that person is not always necessarily friendly and is not always helpful <laughs> and yes. you can get smacked around by your peers because you don't know something because you didn't do something right because you made a, a, a screw up or something like that yeah that'll humble you in and of yourself and and that can can lead to that sense of uh uh imposter syndrome because this other person called you out on some mistake or something that you didn't know um so yeah i think that the successful people particularly in it and cybersecurity, are the most humble ones and, and who are the ones who who just eat it up because they're like okay i there, there's no way i can know all this yeah it, it it keeps you from being cocky keeps you from being arrogant and I think that if you see someone who's cocky and arrogant, that's also a telltale sign of, okay, this person doesn't know as much as they might be projecting. <laughs> yeah, I've seen that many times as well. Go ahead, Ben. Uh, I, I was going to say there's, there's two ways I can think of imposter syndrome being detrimental. One, it can be crippling. Um, it can cause you to doubt yourself to an extent where you start to fail. And, and and I've done this a couple of times when I go to teach a new course, a course I have not taught before. Even if I know the material and I've taught the topic before, when you're presenting new material, it's like stage fright. And I remember, you know, spending all night the night before going back over the notes and reviewing the slides. And, you know, even when I built the curriculum, it's still like, oh, my God, I know none of this. Why is this on the slide? I don't know. I, how am I going <laughs> to explain this? And then... And then the other thing is, I think when you talk about the personalities that are a little bit acerbic, some people grab that imposter syndrome and overcompensate to defeat it, where I'm not ever going to show, I'm not going to expose any weakness or vulnerability. I am the one who knows everything and you're completely wrong and they're going to lash out and they're going to weaponize their insecurity. <laughs> Rafti is nodding very vigorously. <laughs> no, the whole topic, I, I agree. And I, I liked how you said, like, wanted to tie this into security. Uh, and I think, like, if you're, like, the person who's lashing out easily because of this, then uh, for a security expert, if you're, like, responsible for the security in a company, uh, and maybe it's not too big and, and you're the only one, um, if you're unfriendly, uh, this harms the security of the company. If, if, like, if you don't want to come to your CISO, um, with that uh, shady email and you just open it <laughs> and click on the link, download the thing, click on the thing, <laughs> you know, and don't tell anybody. Um, that's how breaches happen. Th th this is exactly it, you know? <laughs> totally. uh, yeah. At, at, at Saturday Night Live, you know, they did a, an amazing parody of the IT guy that nobody likes, you know, comes in, yeah. tells everybody, move. You know, he's pounding really hard on the keyboards, makes them feel stupid, makes them feel, you know, dumb for the for the silly cut, copy, paste or whatever. But but, you know, sadly, you know, we've all we've all stereotype met exists for a reason. That's right. We've all <laughs> met those people before. Yes. Yeah. But at the same time, the flip side of it is you do kind of have to have at least a little bit of an ego and a little bit of, of confidence in yourself to be able to 
thrive in this type of an industry because yeah. you have to be able to face a challenge and be able to say, okay, I, I, I've never seen this before, but I've got this. I've got the, the wealth of information. I've got the, the body of experience. I got this. And, and I've had little, little motivational sessions with myself when I get into a situation sometimes where I have to say, all right, look, I've been doing this for, for X number of years. I've got this much experience. These, 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 these people, my clients are relying on me to take care of this problem. I got this. I've got to do it. <laughs> Put my head down, do the work, get through it. So you do have to have a little bit of an ego. The, 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 the thing you have to do is be able to balance that with that humility, like you were saying, Ben, and be able to, to then turn that ego back off and say, okay, now the problem's resolved. Now I can go back to my normal state where I'm, <laughs> I'm still learning and I'm still trying and I'm still, I've still got things to do. Which of course is the other side of what makes a good like CISO as well, uh, or person in this in this field, because uh, the threats are evolving as well. Like the landscape is evolving, um, you need to be up to date. You need to understand that you don't know the next threat which is coming. You know, and so um, to that point when you said like um, different being a, an expert in different things maybe as well or like having different skill sets which you bring to the table knowing who to call as well knowing where somebody is required because you're like you, you don't know this type of like situation well enough also very important and very very much something. i like what matt and joey were saying about yesterday tripping over a new thing yeah. and how even though you've never seen it before you've got decades of experience that you can bring to bear on similar activity or 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 aspects and you can you can start to dissect the apple you know you can start yeah. to peel the <clears throat> onion layers back and and find a way to go and attack the thing um and i think that's important and and, and i don't I don't necessarily think that's imposter syndrome of oh we've never seen this before are we incompetent it's more like being a pioneer or an explorer, you know, and yeah. seeing, oh, we haven't run across this one before. We've never seen a kobold, but we've killed a gremlin and a hobgoblin. And, a, you know, this is how we're going to attack this thing. Right. Yeah. 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 And and uh, uh, having that imposter syndrome or, or even just having a, enough humility to be able to sit next to someone like Joey and I were sitting actually shoulder to shoulder working on this problem. And being able to take risks and 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 uh and and try to solve the solve, fix the thing that's in front of you and just look at the other person and say i don't know if this is going to work but i've got to try it i've got yeah and 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 yeah i even went down a, a rabbit hole for about two or three hours trying to fix what i thought was the problem and finally had to back back out look over at joey and said okay this isn't doing anything and joey had been watching the entire time thinking that i knew what i was doing <laughs> and, <laughs> <laughs> and I have to say, I apparently don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> it was, and he didn't know, so neither one of you wanted to tell you. See, now, now I, I think that actually speaks very well to the quality of teamwork and, and the, the importance of having a good team in that you can trust yourself to walk out on the edge. And if you stumble and fall and slip, Joey's not going to start mocking you and trying to undercut you no. and stab you in the back. No, He's and there to support you. Yeah, and that has been that has been one of he's going to hate that I say this. That has been one of Matt's greatest qualities over the past two and a half years of working with him. Matt he is doesn't a, mind looking like an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> Matt Matt is is a is the consummate uh, um, um, guide, right? No matter no matter what it what it would be, 
Uh, now, now I will say this. I, I laughed several times yesterday when he would kind of flip the laptop over to me like, here, you try, uh, you know, like, like, you know, try but your ideas. But that, but that's not, but your laughing isn't cutting him down. You're no, laughing. No, 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 your laughing all. is, is a sense of relief, a shared consternation and frustration. It's you're, 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 a, you are literally a team trying to work on this problem. Neither of you have mastery in. Um, now I, I've, I've worked on some pretty poisonous teams as well, where the exact opposite is true to the point where everybody is jabbing at everybody else. And it got to a point where me personally, I started to doubt my own competency in some basic crap just because of the level of critique, un, un, um, unsupportive or, or un uh, qualified critique, uh, that I kept getting on this though. And, and, and that can, that can make all the difference in the world. Uh, Robin really wanted to take part in this episode. She sends her love to all of you. Uh, she has been suffering massive amounts of imposter syndrome. She just, uh, uh, began her MBA program. Oh, wow. And, and uh, she's, she's been promoted into a position of uh, pretty significant authority at work. And now, after years of whining about not getting enough authority and responsibility, she's <laughs> it's kind of the opposite of the Peter principle. Now she goes, um, do I really deserve to be here? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I, I think that happens to a lot of people. Now, luckily, she works with an excellent team, and they were just recognized by one of their senior regional managers uh, as having the qualities that overlap each other and, and support each other in success. And I think that's really crucial, especially when you're stepping into a new position that you may have not had before. And I don't know if enough of us get that. I don't know, especially in IT, if enough IT people step into management and we need more because more people can do IT than can do IT management. Um, I don't know if they get the support and um, camaraderie that they need in order to be successful. I know so many IT practitioners who've gone to management, did not like it and fell back to being a practitioner because they don't want the hassle of being a manager. Do, do you all see that in, oh, yeah. in your experience? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, being a manager is, is, is in effect being a people person and a manager of teams and not necessarily doing the fun stuff, which is what you want to do, pushing around bits and bytes and connecting cables and securing and money and, and budgets like and yeah. meetings and right. reports. Yeah. 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 Sorry, Rafti. I know that you're management, <laughs> but yeah, a lot of a lot of IT guys look down upon managers because uh, it, it's seen as a lesser role because it's it's not technical. It's it's uh, it, it's soft skills. The but that's the reason why I suffer through Linux uh, on my home devices and have my home server running and stuff. I get this stuff at home, but <laughs> no, I understand. I, I I wanted to add there as well um, in regards to the supporting teams. I think it's also um, depending on the like in which industry, like IT in itself, um, usually is also part of some other industry. And uh, I think I talked about this on the show as well. I've been in the life science sector before I moved into cybersecurity, and life science is like basically like it's in the pharmaceutical space, and so there's a, a very much a lack of trust. Everything has to be proven. Everything has to be recorded. Each mistake you make 
has to be documented. So there's a, a huge, like, a, a, like everything around you, everybody is like, it's like, there is a camaraderie, like you have your colleagues, you like them and stuff usually, but like everything you do at work needs to be proven, needs every mistake is recorded uh, with signature and timestamp and everything, audit trails everywhere, each typo. <laughs> and so um, it, it creates a toxic culture around how, how you work, uh, I think. And so uh, just in general, if you're in that kind of environment, um, maybe you should be um, not as like maybe move into IT in a different, like I did <laughs> in a different sector. <laughs> like, yeah, you took the easy and... way out. Just go start a company. Yeah, that's, <laughs> no, that's... But, <laughs> but like there are other IT jobs, of course, out there as well. And if you're interested in IT and if you are somebody who wants to sort of like be a people person as well, don't go into life science. Don't go into the pharmaceutical space. <laughs> I like this. This is good advice for dealing with imposter syndrome. What do y'all got? I I wonder. Well, I want to segue into a into a a, a different branch. So I don't I don't want to take. Hey, no, no. Go ahead. Yet. Go ahead. Go ahead. We'll come back to this then. Well, well, I wonder. I'd love to talk to somebody in the medical field about this because I can't imagine, you know, being an ER doctor and and but they have the opposite problem. Rafi brought this up on a previous show. They have the god complex. The god complex, right? <laughs> but but do they? You know, the heart surgeon, yes. The the neurosurgeon, yes. When you've reached, you know, doing those types of things. But but my gosh, the pressure that they must have, you know, in in an ER setting when somebody comes in with trauma. Um, but again, like Matt says, at that point, you say, you know what? You, you, you're trained. You know this stuff. You're there for a reason. You're licensed. You can do this. You know, and, and that's, uh, I'm, I'm glad you said that. Uh, the doctors I've been friends with, uh, or my friends who've been doctors, pretty much go down that road where they say, you know, oh yeah, we, we don't know everything. We got to look like we know everything. Otherwise, nobody's ever going to come to doctors anymore, you know. Yeah. <laughs> right. You know, but we have this training and you got to let the training take over because at the end of the day, if you screw up, someone's going to go back over and you're going to have to vindicate yourself and justify your actions. And that's where you rely on the training because the training is what protects you. It is the, the, the due care that you can demonstrate the, the legal due care. And um, th they've all said, Oh yeah, we just fake it. We say, yeah, we know exactly what to do. And you dive in and, and nine times out of 10, it's been covered in the training material in your education. You've seen it somewhere before. And if not, you know, if it's some wild abnormality, then no one's going to fault you because it deviates from the human norm anyway. And there's no way you should have known how to deal with that mutation. So for them, it's a lot of pretending. I, I go back to Matt's comment. It's theater. You put on the white coat, you wrap the stethoscope around your neck, and everybody thinks you're invulnerable. Yeah, but that also depends on what doctor you are, um, because you were talking about ER and stuff like it It truly depends. And I think there are doctors, of course, it's self-selecting as well, like who who into which field you're going. Um, and I have in my family a couple of people in the medical um, realm as well. And uh, my my uncle, for instance, he does not like cutting open people. So he went into and he's a doctor. He went into oh uh, i don't know what it's called in english like those internal organs stuff and things so he does he heart called surgery. him an internist 
internist yes exactly yeah. Yeah, but they're like uh, but through like w only with um, short, uh, a small insertion and then going in through the um blood vessels and stuff exactly so this is stuff that he's doing no but through the blood vessels as well not just laparoscopic like angioplasty and stuff like that and oh, stuff yeah. like yeah. that yeah so because he does not like cutting open people and even he says like surgeons who are like especially heart surgeons who are like spreading open the rib cage and stuff this is this is something where he's like you need to be a special kind of person so i'm i'm just wanted to caveat this like in the medical field of course would be interesting maybe if somebody knows someone who would come on the podcast but I think it's a different uh, sort of like person. And as we said, with with people who are interested in technology and security and cybersecurity and stuff, they like to tinker. And this is sort of like our field where we are like, OK, those tinkerers, those people who are like solving problems, that's sort of like um, the base point for us. And I don't know what it is for the medical industry, but yeah, I think we frown base on point. tinkerers in the medical profession, <laughs> especially the surgeons, because because usually those are serial killers. <laughs> i just want um, to say like from from it's self-selecting as well like the training and stuff and as it is for us and the the recommendation i give to people who are interested in cybersecurity, if you don't like solving problems like this if you don't like to code if you don't like to optimize if this is not you you will not get like you i think you won't be happy here maybe for management maybe those are those people you're looking for in management i don't know <laughs> Joey, I'm sorry. I think I may have diverted what you were saying too. I think you were just using the medical field as an example. Is there is there somewhere else okay, you were sorry. going with that? Too? <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I, it was just some. It was a topic that came up uh, because I know we had discussed it before. All right. Um, so I, I'm going to go back to my original question. Do you have any advice for somebody who may be suffering from imposter syndrome, and? And I'm going to piggyback this on the area that I'm most familiar with, the training and certification side. Somebody has failed a cert test twice. What do you tell them to go for the third time? Or what do you tell them to not get discouraged and go find other form of work or occupation? I think Joey's qualified to answer this one. Oh, <laughs> damn. See, is, now I, you, just, you just ruined that whole thing about not undercutting each other, being a supportive team. Uh, no, I say that as, yeah. with, 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 with nothing but, but love for Joey. But, but as someone who has also taken many certification tests, and in fact, there was one when I was going for my MCSE. MCSE back in the early 2000s was a, Joey, you might remember, was it a seven exam? It you was had, seven you exams, had, yes. You had, you had to pass seven exams to get the certification. And I had passed like five of them, and I was on my sixth exam. And I took that exam probably three times because I had gotten the uh, – the basically what it boiled down to was I had gotten the wrong training book for it. I would gotten a book that was training me for, for that exam but for a previous version of the exam. And I didn't realize it at the time. Once I changed the book, then I, I was able to pass the exam. But I went through that that whole thing. I uh, MCSE back again in the early 2000s was a big deal to get. And yes. I knew I wanted it. And uh, I was knocking them out left and right because I and, and, and I was building myself up because I was like, all right, yeah, I've, I've got these. I was, I was literally taking an exam a week and just knocking them out. And I was like, all right, in two months, I'm going to have this certification. And then I hit this stumbling block. And it was that same thing of, oh, gosh, am I doing something wrong or do I just really not deserve this certification? Uh, you know, wh 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 where's the problem here? What, and, and it, it aside from figuring out it was the wrong edition of the book, <laughs> what was it that kept you going? What, what made you not give up? 
it it really is you have to find that internal fortitude and say okay I, this is something that i want and then looking to my peers in the industry and saying this guy got it that guy got it i know i'm better than that guy this guy over here you know is a complete dumbass why why did he get it and i didn't okay all right now now i've got some motivation because i know that i'm and, and again it's a little bit ego but it's also just you got to tell yourself whatever it takes to get through it push through it figure it out come on there hmm. there was a study done and this must have been 20 years ago of highly capable people you know people with doctorate degrees or other advanced degrees people who were very successful in their field and so forth and the question was um why is it that you went to achieve the greatest accomplishment that you did what was the choice in your head what was the thing you were thinking of and by far the vast majority almost all of them in their top three responses there was some version of i'll show them <laughs> yeah and them could be parents them could be teachers them could be you know competitive it, i yeah. found that fascinating that that the human who's been negative person, yes at some point yes. and said you can't do this oh I, okay you think that i can't do it all right fine i'm going and to put you in your place and a lot of times that person that's saying you can't do this is that person himself or herself. Yeah. You know, your your True. own self saying, give up. This is not where you belong. You don't you can't do this, you know. Um, yeah. So I, I would to your question, Ben, to the person that has failed that exam one, two, three, however many times, um, do not stop. Do not quit. And I would tell them, um, after every failure have that hour to let's say two hours of feel sorry for yourself go ahead get get that out and then get back to work because what matt said it is passable these things are achievable and if you are not learning in one way and seeing results from studying or learning in one way change it try a different way and that's what happened that's what i had to do and where i suffered the biggest the the, the largest uh, imposter syndrome of my career was after you know that failure that second time was do i even belong in this space but the answer is yes i knew the material i knew it right but how i how i translated that from reading a question to finding the answer in my brain it again i'm 47 years old i haven't been in any kind of academia setting of learning and processing in decades you know there was a, like matt there was a time i certification after certification after certification within the microsoft world and then i stopped and so anyway all that to say for the person that might be listening that says you know, I, I failed this. I don't want to go back. It costs a lot of money. Yeah, it does. How bad do you want it? And if you want it, then do it. Awesome. Rafti, you got anything? <laughs> uh, I think my struggle is a little bit different. I don't have a, a test to pass. Um, my struggle mainly revol uh, like is around like leading people um and coming up with different plans and i think I was gonna say, your test rafti is providing shareholder value right 
<laughs> that is true. Yeah, of course. Um, and so what I what I uh, currently do is um, talk with people, reflect um, on on ideas that I'm having, and sometimes just um, I, I heard this recently, and it's sort of like is is a guidepost there as well. Uh, I try to not be confused, um, but admit that I might be wrong. Um, plot a path commit to it and and walk it and um if it's the wrong one uh, as we talked earlier stay humble admit failure uh adapt but uh, not get like flown left and right and sticking to the path and looking forward so this is i love that it's liberating fun. isn't it and and we talked about yeah. this on the on the teaching episode when you can get to the point where you're comfortable saying, I don't know, uh, I, I just, I simply, did anybody else, anyone else here know? Because I'm I'm open to suggestion. That is such a freeing moment. And when you don't have to have this, this posturing of I know everything and I can do no wrong, when you let that go, you can learn a lot more. You can do a lot more. You can you can go further, uh, and and I absolutely love that as well. Um, my advice for dealing with imposter syndrome is kind of a variation on what, what Matt was saying. Realize other folks have done it, and other folks suffer from imposter syndrome. Everybody does. I, I I don't think you can find any human being on the planet who at some point doesn't have some self-doubt. If you do find someone who's completely self-assured, they're the psychopath, avoid them, and they're <laughs> going to get something very dangerously wrong at some point. Um, so I, I, I don't think self-surety is an indicator that you're necessarily good at what you do just as self-doubt is not an indicator that you're bad at what you do. Bear that in mind and realize that it's okay to want to learn more, need to know more. You don't have to know all the answers. It's, this isn't school. You're allowed to go look it up on the internet. You're allowed to go read a book. I don't know a single IT person when they run into a problem that doesn't go and do a web search on the thing first off <laughs> just to see what the first four answers are, right? Yep, That's, yep. You know, You'd be dumb. It's like being a doctor and not taking a consultation, right? You'd be dumb to just try to do it from your own memory and your own knowledge. So, yeah, Joey. There was a uh, there back to the medical field when when I was a kid, I was probably at this point <clears throat> fourteen or fifteen years old, and my younger brother uh, would have been about nine or ten, depending on on the the the, the exact date. Uh, long story short. He developed a very bad skin infection that started on the top of his hand and it migrated all the way up the arm. And it got to a point where the skin this was in Game of Thrones. Did he turn to stone? <laughs> <laughs> it it was it was it became very serious. And so my my uh, parents took him to, <clears throat> you know, the primary pediatrician. You need to go see a dermatologist, go see a specialist. So. They go to the specialist. I'll never forget the story that my father tells me. Is they took him in, and the um, um, dermatologist got his, you know, magnifying glass out, his his jeweler's eye, if you will, and started inspecting this this infection. 
and he stands up. My father said, said, I'll be right back. Walks around, goes out of the office, comes back into the patient's room with a massive book. Sits down with the book and starts turning the pages. Looks again at the arm, back to the book, turns the pages. Looks again at the arm and properly diagnosed it. And within three days, the infection was gone based because they had tried all these different antibiotics and it wasn't going away. What I love about the story is the guy was not afraid to bring in his YouTube at the time or his <laughs> Wikipedia right into the patient's room with the parents and, and say, I don't know what it is, but the, I've seen this in the book and mm -hmm. I, and I've never forgot that. I thought that that was just trans courage, transparency. That is brilliant and strong. And so many doctors would stay in the other room flipping pages till right. they found what they thought was three possibilities and then walk back in because they wouldn't have the confidence to bring the book into the patient's room. And, and it's not the fact that you're cheating. It's not the fact that you don't know something, Mr. Doctor, you're supposed to know this. It's the fact that you can read this book and understand what the book says. Right. Because you have all the medical training. I could, I could open that same book and not learn a damn thing and not, you know, not know, give your brother a tube of Neosporin and say, here you go. You know? <laughs> yeah, that brings yeah. to mind a conversation I had with a physician that I had as a client uh, several years ago who said something very poignant to me. He said, um, we, we were talking about WebMD and how all these patients are self-diagnosing using the WebMD website. And the doctor said to me, he looked at me straight in the face. He said, yeah, I use WebMD MD all the time. He said, the difference between you using WebMD and me using WebMD is I know what I'm reading. <laughs> He's able to yeah. use it the way it's supposed to be used. <laughs> you know, and, and I'll be honest with you. I have long said that doctors are just mechanics. The difference is the human body is a lot more complex than a car. Mm -hmm. And therefore, we elevate doctors to this magical realm that we don't give to mechanics. I think when we start seeing the AI and the chat GPT, GPT and all the other tools that are out there able to incorporate natural language to the degree that we do with our doctors. Doctors are going to be diminished greatly in their reverence because a lot of what they do is just a Boolean algorithm. It's just a, a set of pathways and choices to get to the right conclusion. And, and there's no reason an AI shouldn't be able to do the same thing. Uh, and especially, well, I don't know what it's like. You can say the same thing about IT guys. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, or, or writers. Yeah. Oh, you know, literature is going to go away because the, the computers will be much better than we will. I've said many times, and I think I've said it to Joey, 90% of my job is being a human Google interface. Someone yeah. poses the question, I type it into Google. You know how to ask it and how to read it. Rafi, yeah. go that's ahead. A that's very important. And I wanted to, I wanted at this point, chime in with a little privacy advice, you know, the doctor has patient doctor confidentiality, but of course your web search does not. Be careful what you search <laughs> for. Very Be careful what point. you search for, what trails you leave behind, you know? There is a history and that is captured. Very good point, Rafti. Thank yeah. you. Just, just right. to put that out there. Joey, you brought the topic up. Um, do you feel like we've covered it sufficiently? Have we addressed it to your satisfaction? Oh, absolutely. I, I love talking about this. I think with, with authenticity comes about with true transparency. And when, when somebody can say to you, Hey, me too, especially a seasoned professional to maybe somebody that's getting into the field or even another seasoned professional, I think all it does is 
make us feel that much more um, validated that, hey, we're not the only ones that suffer from this. We're not the only ones that that may face this uh, no matter how often. So, yeah, I think I, I love this topic and, and, and I think we can always go deeper with it. There's actually an area that I didn't get into that I wanted to that I think could have led us to another half hour discussion, but I, I don't want to beat a dead horse either. Maybe we'll come back to it on a future episode. Okay. Yeah. Right. Great. Um, before we go, I am going to hijack this session. Um, by the time this episode comes out, um, hopefully by the 16th of January, 2023, Wannabea is going to be releasing in alpha a new product, the Wanna Practice app where you can get hundreds of questions, practice questions for a variety of InfoSec certifications, including CISSP, CCSP, CCSK, SSCP, and CISM. Um, low cost, high quality, and we're going to, in the ensuing months, roll out some new features that I have not seen in any other practice question app. Um, we're going to start with some cut rates or maybe even a free trial. Uh, eventually, uh, we're going to keep the cost extremely competitive. Go check out wannapractice.com if you want to get in early. And uh, I'm really excited about where it's going to go. It looks great, and uh, I'm very happy with it so far. Great. That's All exciting. Right. Very cool. Yeah. Congrats. Thank you. Thank so, you. So, so you have actually been doing something. See, all this time, I thought that you were just eating <laughs> beignets and drinking coffee and sleeping in. But no, he, Ben does actually do stuff. Uh, well, the app dev team did stuff. I, I just <laughs> sort of show up to the meetings every now and then. Um, all right. Um, until next time, I'm Ben Maliso. And I'm Matt Snotty. Rafael Fiedler. And I'm Joey Police. Catch us again next week for another episode of... Sensuous sounds of InfoSec. Hey there, listener. Matt here. If you like listening to Ben, Robin, Rofty, Joey, or myself, please consider supporting us at buymeacoffee.com slash securitized. Interested in training for CISSP, CCSP, CISM, SSCP, CCSK, boy, that's a lot of letters, or other InfoSec certifications. Go to Ben's website for all his training programs at wannabeacissp.com, and that's spelled W-A-N-N-A-B-E-A-C-I-S-S-P.com. We are on Discord. Engage with us by searching for the channel wannabeacissp. Feedback or questions on what we discuss, send a good old fashioned email to Ben at benmaliso.com. You may hear a shout out or your feedback on a future show. We're all working professionals in the InfoSec industry, so feel free to link up with us on LinkedIn. Support Rofty's company and test drive their free firewall software called Portmaster, downloadable at their website, safing.io, spelled S A F. I-N-G dot I-O. Support Joey's company, Blue Edge Networks, at blueedgenetworks.com and listen to Joey's podcast called Topic of Choice 
at topicofchoice.com. Join us on Reddit at slash r slash ssoi underscore fans. All opinions expressed in this podcast are personal and for entertainment purposes only. They do not necessarily reflect the opinions of our companies, affiliates, employers, guests, or even each other. No advice given here should be followed without consulting with a professional for any specific InfoSec situation you may experience. <laughs>